who've talked to us about fact and fiction. So that is not our topic today, but it's always a topic in our society until such time as we have everyone informed and not misinformed. And so please take the time, everyone, to listen to and read more than one source about COVID, about the vaccine, about what you can do to keep you and your family and your loved ones and your neighbors safe, including now children who are impacted more by the more recent variant and related conditions. So, well, I have a very important notice for our listeners. You can now communicate with us. We need your feedback on the topics that we talk about. We need comments. We need additions. We want to know how you feel about this show. And we have an email address that I want you to write down, put it in your phone, so that you can tell us whether the shows are benefiting you, because we hope they are. And the email address is windowviewnow, W-I-N-D-O-W-V-I-E-W-N-O-W, at gmail.com. That's window now at gmail.com. Window now or window view now? Win- I'm excuse it down me. Myself. You're right. Window view now. Window view now at gmail.com. And the W is capitalized. Okay? And um, let me say it one more time. Window view now at gmail.com. So speaking of communication, what what are they gonna they're gonna shoot each other in washington dc over this budget what do you think is gonna happen over the debt ceiling well our washington politicians are communicating the way they normally communicate unfortunately and that is with dissension and so um everyone's blaming everyone else and of course when you look at the budget the issues go back several administrations so um, so we will we will just see what happens. Obviously, that impacts all of us. And maybe we should have somebody on our show to talk about how issues like that impact our day-to-day. We are going to talk money today. We are going to talk money. But perhaps we should have someone in the future who focuses on how what's going on in the halls of Congress right now once again affect all of us. And in case you were wondering about the argument in D.C., you are correct. One part of government wants to borrow money from another part of government. So in some respects, it's everybody's debt, it's everybody's uh, issue, and they're on the same uh, side. But one wants to keep the money low and one wants to keep it high. So that's what that's about. But yes, um, we have a very special guest here today who is an expert on money and saving money. And finding ways to um, uh, minimize what we pay to the government. And that is Ed Dudley. Ed is a former IRS agent. And he is also a CPA. And he is here to talk to us today about something that we should not wait until the last minute to do like I did last year. Get your taxes done early. Don't wait till the last minute because there could be penalties. But that's what we're talking about today. 2021 tax policies for individuals and for businesses. So we're going to kick it off talking about individuals.
So, so Dr. I, be, before you, and, and thank you, by the way, to our guests for being here with us in the studio. Before we launch off into all the sophisticated things you're going to talk about, Dr. I, because you are, of course, very well known for working with entrepreneurs, I'd just like to go through the basics. My, my son is at the age now where I can no longer claim him as a deduction, and, and that's, um, that's very painful to me, but, but he's, he's doing his own thing, and so I'm trying to teach him as much about taxes as I know, and he has some good examples and bad examples from an individual perspective. So let me just talk to you about the basics. First, tell us about your background. Tell our, our, our listeners how it is you got to be a tax person. Uh, good morning, uh, Columbus. Again, my name is Edward Dudley. I practice in CPA and MBA, and I worked at the Internal Revenue Service for 10 years. Uh, the highlight there, though, was my last two years, I was an executive on loan to Central State University, ah. where I uh, taught tax law, uh, financial accounting, managerial accounting, auditing to the students at Central State uh, University. My job there was not only to teach that, but was also to recruit African Americans to come to work for the Internal Revenue Service. Um, actually, that spearheaded the reason why I left the IRS and started all on my own, because I seen uh, the decline in African Americans in that particular field, and also the perception that that field was so challenging a lot of folks did not want to go into uh, that arena, and um, that's that's just far from the truth. Um, so that that's a little bit about me. My office is located in Gahanna. I've been practicing now for it doesn't seem this long, but it's almost thirty years. Oh my gosh, you're old, Ed. I, I know. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, but but my specialty is to help small, emerging, and developing uh, businesses. I kind of take them through what the steps are that they need to in order to achieve in business and sometimes that's not always nice but that at least they can come to someone that that has a working knowledge and they're able to ask the particular questions and if they really want to they can succeed all right so since you have classroom experience let's consider this to be a class we're (laughs) going to start with the basics and work to i'm in the entry level class and then we'll work on 101 to the the, (laughs) right to the upper class upper classman upper class person over here so at what point in someone's life do they need to begin to file taxes and think seriously about what you're going to talk about today? Yeah. Well, well, see, the IRS has certain levels where you are required to file. And that's different from whether you can file as you're required to file. For example, if you are just a single person, if you make under $14,000 a year, you literally do not have to file. If your head of household make under 18500 you don't have to file. Married, filing joint, 24800 you don't have to file. But the problem with that is you want to file because you're probably going to get a refund. All right. So the fact that you don't have to file does not mean you are not paying taxes. That's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. In fact, a lot of times if you file with the benefits available for the, like the earned income credit and all the, some of the educational credits, it would behoove you to file. Okay. So let's say then that I'm within those income ranges you talked about and I say, okay, I get it. I don't have to file, but chances are I get a refund and getting a refund signifies what? Why would I get a refund? Because a couple of things. One, they either have withheld. Let's, let me give you an example. You worked at McDonald's. You're 17, 18 years old. Your parent can claim you on the tax return. 
So you could still file, not claim yourself, but you're under the threshold for which you owe any taxes. But making that working at McDonald's, they withheld two hundred and fifty dollars for from you. You should file that return, get your two hundred and fifty dollar refund back. The parent uh, it is not exposed for you filing to get a refund, so it won't impact their taxes. So if, if I'm a young person, or not even a young person, but the kind of person who in the benefits presentation when you're hired kind of dozes off and glazes over, there's some kind of form related to taxes that perhaps I should pay attention to? Yes, we, we all have to file what they call a W-4 form and that's just the notification to the irs as to what your filing status would be and will you have any exemptions those relate to what they call withholding tables let me give you an example if you make a thousand dollars a week and you're single the withholding tables may say the federal government is going to withhold fifty dollars from you right but if you use this on the same scenario you're you're single uh, you make $1,000 a week, but yet you may have a child. The withholding tables may say only withhold $20 a week. So is it only the federal government that's taking my money out of my pay? Uh, the state's same same scenario. The state will have their little document that says, okay, what are you, what's, what's your filing status and how many exemptions would you, would you claim? As well as, you know, the city's going to take a flat percentage of two point two point five percent of whatever you gross they're going the city of columbus takes that there's no adjustments no modifications it's just a flat two and a half percent okay so for those of our listeners who may be in other cities and states what we're going to talk about as it relates to federal income taxes is going to be pretty much consistent when we talk about state and city income taxes the basics are going to be the same but the percentages might vary yes ma'am and there's some states and cities that are, are known for being more tax friendly is that right yes it is for, for, for someone who's considering retirement yes okay yeah. all right okay so back to basics then all right so let's say that i'm in one of the income groups that has to file income tax what if i don't want to <laughs> or i forget uh, to. Well, well well you know the mission of the internal revenue is to seek voluntary compliance now that's kind of oxymoron because how do you seek voluntary compliance if you don't comply you would be known as a habitual offender Mm-mm. and those are the individuals that the irs will come at at with a vengeance um those are what's called illegal tax protesters i.e individuals that say i don't have to file the tax returns because if they don't file a tax return and that gets out publicly and so many people don't file they fail to collect now here's the thing a lot of times those folks are getting back refunds a lot of times there's incentives and stuff in play that could very well help them but the but because they got in their mind i'm not i don't have to file the government's not taking my money they don't file those are cases where I've seen when I worked there, they assign special agents. And those are that's a division of the Internal Revenue Service where they seek criminal uh, charges for individuals just for failing to file a tax uh, return. Uh, well, well, what if I'm not really protesting, but what if what if what happened was <laughs> I just it was just I just didn't know what to do. It's complicated. Yeah. Um, the IRS probably will not come after you at least until there's a couple of things. One, you've at least two or three years behind. Two, you have gross income under a, such, a certain threshold level. 
that upon their initial contact, they would just ask you to file a tax return. Or you call in and say, I want to file a tax return. They don't want really the, the headache of going after all these folks that have not filed a tax return. So all you have to do is even if they come knocking at your door, say, I want to voluntarily comply, and they would be uh, willing to probably accept your returns. So how do I learn how to file a return? I've never done it before. So the, the the internet, of course, has exploded. You literally can go on the internet at www.irs.gov and say, put in the bar, I want to file, and they're going to take you through all the steps to file the to file the tax return. In fact, you could probably go in, put your stuff in at a certain, just put your W two in there, and they will calculate the tax for you and send you back. Uh, the applicable refund or the amount that you owe. Okay, and the W-2 is? Okay. End of every year, uh, the IRS requires your employer to send you a summary of the amounts that you earned during the year, the amounts that was withheld from your paycheck biweekly or quarterly or whenever you get paid weekly, and um, um, that's just the sum of those things. The sum of those things is called a W-2. That is taken to either a tax professional or a VITA, which is a voluntary IRS uh, station where they prepare them for you free, which they're all over the city. Um, you need, probably need to find, just look it up, and then you can find the location. They then take that summary, put it on the form, and put a couple the key points on there. Your name, your address, your social security number, your children, and it asks a couple questions about your children. Did your child live with you during that year? If they did, it may put you, instead of filing married, for, I'm sorry, instead of filing um, single, it may say you can file head of household, which just gives you some advantages. But the key to a lot of that is the fact there's other things out there when claiming a child that has an impact that will reduce your taxes. For example, you get a $2,000 child credit. For every child under the age of 18, so long as you don't meet certain income level, they will send you $2,000. What that basically means, remember, we got a W-2. They withheld $250 from us. What that literally says, for every child, we're going to give you $2,000. So it's like them withholding $2,250 from you because they're going to give you that back per child. Then if you under other circumstances or under under uh, your adjusted gross income is a little bit lower than that they have what they call earned income credit and that's just a credit that's basically free money it's a table that says if you claimed three kids and you made under twenty five thousand dollars we're going to send you an additional six thousand dollars so i could either go on the internet and look for resources or look for the various tax programs that allow you to plug in information from your W-2 right. and calculate the amount for you. Yes. Or I could go to volunteer assistance agencies where there may or may not be an income requirement for me to qualify. Or I could go, if I think I have a, a really sophisticated case, I could go to a tax preparer that's like great. you and That's get great. my taxes done. So I'm running out of excuses not to <laughs> not to do my taxes. Now, going back to this W-2, what if I make money on the side cutting grass? Oh, that's a I don't great, have to claim that, that right? That, that is an absolute great <laughs> question because when the IRS audited you, I managed what they called the IRS office uh, audit division. Okay. And those are when folks come in, they send you a letter. 
They say, we looked at your tax return. We have certain questions for you. Can you come down and talk to us about it? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the questions that we would always ask is, did you have any bartering income? Or did you have income from sources not reflected on that return? So literally, you're supposed to take even the cutting grass income, put it on the Schedule C, and pay taxes on Now, that's literally. They do have a threshold, though. You don't have to pay self-employment tax on that until you get make more than $400. What if I ask people to pay me in cash? Well, well okay. So, so a lot of people do that. I and made I, a CPA stutter. <laughs> <laughs> well, a new accomplishment for me. <laughs> well, I, I, could, I could get kind of technical. So this is what the IRS does, okay, for all you guys out there. when you Whenever they audit you, they asked you for all your bank statements and all your banking financial activities that they know exist. Huntington Bank, Chase, or whatever. Here's what they do. They take all your deposits for the whole year. Uh-huh. And let's say those deposits come up to $50,000. Then we take the tax return. The IRS takes the tax return and says, how much did they report on this return that they made during the year? They, they said they made 20000 So the, what's the question? The IRS going to say, how you got $50,000 worth of deposits, but you only got $20,000 worth of income you reported on the tax return? I don't know. <laughs> God gave it to me. <laughs> and, and, and so IRS responds to this, tell, tell God you got to pay these taxes. <laughs> I have a question before we take a break. What about if you're in the middle of a divorce? I'm an expert on that. I need to know for future reference. On how to file? What do you do when, let's say, the husband and the wife split up? You probably should file married filing separate. Okay. So that your his liability is not part of yours or yours is not part of his. All right. We got to take a quick break, and we will be back on the window talking about taxes. We are back on the window talking with Ed Dudley, MBA, CPA, about taxes, everything you need to know from beginners to more advanced. Before we forget, we talked about, gee, what if you need some assistance filing your taxes? So, Ed, do you want to spend a moment with a shameless plug for your services and how people can reach you? <laughs> well, without a doubt. Uh, again, I own a company called Nair Bookkeeper in the county. It's at uh, 261 Johnstown Road, Gahanna, Ohio, 432 I offer uh, tax planning, tax scenarios, uh, 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 solutions to individuals that may have some challenges. When I was at the Internal Revenue Service, I was one of the fortunate individuals that was picked to uh, uh, talk about this offering compromise, and I helped set up that program. That's when an individual owes a whole lot of tax but don't have any money to pay the tax. And so there's a structured program that the IRS offers uh, that takes about six months to a year to get it done. But essentially, you just fill out a lot of paperwork. You kind of go through a different scenarios. And then you here's the key, though. You pay the taxes on what your current ability to pay. Let me repeat that. What your current ability to pay. So let's say... 10 years ago, you made a million dollars and you owed 300000 You never paid it. Today, you're retired. You only make, I don't know, $40,000 a year, right? We could file an offer for you on the 40 
and whatever your ability to pay on the 40, and let's say on the 40, all you could pay is $10,000. IRS accepts the $10,000 in lieu of the $350,000. So that's a very exciting program. We were able, I've been very, very successful in getting those, those programs through. But here's the deal. When you hear it on the radio, could do all these things, pay no attention to that stuff. Because the real deal is you have to come sit across from a professional and, and let them interview you, ask you the questions, request the documents, and work with you to determine what your ability to pay is. For example, if you only owe $80,000 and you offer them 79000 you didn't really do anything. So, But if you owe $80,000 and you offer them $2,000, the IRS may consider that frivolous and not even accept your $2,000. Just take your $2,000. So the professional will bring it together and determine what is deemed a processable offer, right, which means that the IRS will process, and then they will take you through the steps in order to get that done. So what's the catch? What's the catch? If they're going to let you pay less than you know, does that screw up your credit rating? Do they hide in your bushes? Or is it all legit? It really is legit. It's all legit. Here's here's their catch. You can't owe them for the next five years. And whatever you do owe, you must be timely and pay it all. If you do that... Within, if you if you uh, mess up any time within that five years, that entire amount comes back at, on you. Their job at that point is just to seek voluntary compliance, and they got that from you. Okay, so asking for a friend, asking for quite a few friends. <laughs> so w- what if you just say today, okay, I, I, I confess and I want to repent, and I either haven't filed taxes for a number of years or I've filed taxes and I've owed money, but I just haven't paid and I've just ignored it. And now I get these notices and they're charging me interest, they're charging me penalties. What, what do I do? Um, first of all, if you have not filed, you should file. Bring them all up current. The minute you call the IRS or notify the IRS that you filed, you're willing to file all your back years return, you come out of the criminal division. So, so now they will no longer seek any criminal indictments on you. Um, so you would file all those returns. Second of all, you would you would determine how much you owe, make the call to the IRS or determine, look at your letters, and then A, come to an individual like me to see if you qualify for an offer. The key to qualifying for an offer is this. What funds do you have left over each month multiplied by 60 months? So for example, you got $100 left over each month that IRS determines that you could pay them. You multiply that times 60. If you could, if you offer them $6,000, that will probably be, that's real general, but that will probably be a processable offer. What if I just ignore, what's the chance that they'll ever seek me down and audit me like, like Wesley Snipes? I mean, it's not big money for me. Can I just kind of skate through it uh, you will go into what they call cas which see uh yeah C, yeah i think it's C, i don't C-A-I-S. even know what that means okay it so, scary. so 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 that's their computer automated collections division where there's no people all they is they all they do is just look at 
uh, what you owe, where your address is, and constantly send your letters. If it rises to the point where the IRS says, hey, we're going to start attaching, placing liens on people that are in excess of $5,000, now they're going to go levying on your bank account. Then they're going to call your employer and start levying on your wages and stuff. So your best thought is just, just to do this. Contact them, work out an installment agreement, or file an offer and compromise so now you know what you don't know. Because that other, anyway, you don't know when they're going to decide to come after you. I will say this, though. During this COVID environment, I've been filing offers and, and things of that nature. They have been really relaxed on allowing things to go through. I'm going to just just, just say, say that. I've been presently surprised at them um, they've been extremely backed up uh, with people. They don't have the ability to pay. And so they've just tried to get as much funds as they can. Okay. So, Dr. I said at the beginning of the show, we were going to talk about how to pay less taxes. So are there legitimate ways to get some of those those big kind of deductions and waivers and things that all the all the big kids get? Used to. Used to, <laughs> when 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 the when the, when this when the prior president came in, he effectively eliminated a lot of things uh, off your ability. So most of the ways that you could reduce your taxes was known as a Schedule A itemized deduction. You had your home interest expense, you had your real estate taxes, you had your regular taxes, as well as your charitable contributions. They would give you a standard amount. And then if those items exceeded the standard amount, you would be able to save taxes. Lo and behold, the prior president came in and eliminated a lot of those. Let me give you an example. I have a pro football player who who everybody knows that they have to keep their bodies at optimum efficiency. They have to take supplements. They have to have diets. They have to do all of these things. Prior legislation said if that pro athlete football player has to incur those debts in order to do his job, he gets a Schedule A itemized deductions. That could cost him somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 a year. But he's optimized in his body. Of course, he makes a couple million dollars. He previously got that deduction, $100,000 deduction. His tax bracket was 30%. He saved $30,000 a year. But because because that's what he had to do to keep his body in optimum shape. Um, president came in, uh, President Trump come in and say, those got to go. So those individuals now, the pro athletes now, they don't get that anymore. He just with the with the with, uh, with by signing legislation, he raised their tax brackets a minimum of thirty percent on those allowable types of things. So the flexibility has been greatly diminished. In fact, you used to could take your taxes, real estate taxes, state and local taxes on your uh, on your Schedule A itemized deduction. You used to could take it, whatever it is. Now they limit it to ten thousand dollars. So you could pay taxes, state and local taxes and real estate taxes of $24,000. They only allow you to take 10. So what I kind of believe that's what's going to happen in the next couple of years is that they're going to begin to relax that legislation that the prior president uh, Trump put in to try to give individuals more flexibility to control their taxable income.
And, of course, it all goes back to what's going on in Washington, which goes back to what we've always mm-hmm. said on this show. Mm-hmm. Your vote matters. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for this basic course. One last question. And then, Dr. I, you're going to take this to the next level mm-hmm. of class. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to graduate from this class. So what if I'm one of the lucky people who gets a tax refund? What should I do with it? What are some thoughts? Um, you know, at, 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 at any thought, the first thing we do is spend it. In fact, the government knows that so well. That's the reason why they gave everybody rebates. Uh, but 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 really, what I could what I what I really believe is that we all hope to live a long, productive life. We do know that the retirement, so Social Security, if you don't have a third party uh, uh, retirement system, is just not enough. So I would always advise advise people to. Put it in some form of an IRA contribution or something like that. Normally, a good solid IRA will probably pay you somewhere between 6 and 8% rate of return a year, and that's compounded. So if you look at a person that just puts $2,000 away in over 40 years, well, we know that that's, that's nothing but $80,000. But when you look at the back end, the compound, that could be in excess of $180,000. So now you retire with not $80,000, $180,000. I know those are small things and people just say, well, hey, I, I can't afford that. But you can if you want to. Mm-hmm. So nothing is certain but death and taxes. And since we're still here, I guess taxes are the certainty mm-hmm. that's in front of us right now. Thank you for taking us through this crash course for individuals. Now, Dr. I, you work a lot, as we all know, with businesses and i just want to talk from the most simple form up to the corporation Mm -hmm. tell us about schedule c (laughs) i love schedule c i live by schedule c actually schedule c is probably the worst form you could find (laughs) Uh, here's the reason why the irs examines tax returns that have uh expenses and revenue in them a Schedule C is a sole proprietor that does nothing but summarize your income and expenses from a related act from your business activity. Because you file it in conjunction with your W-2s, the IRS can look at that and says, well, he only reported, let's say he grossed $40,000 on a Schedule C, he reported $25,000 worth of income, he netted fifteen, but I mean $25,000 in uh, expenses. But they'll look at that $25,000 worth of expenses and say, huh, what can I look at and what looks like it's out of line? What looks like it's a little bit higher than what it should be? And then they'll say, tell you what, we'll just send them a letter and ask them to send documentation and substantiation to substantiate a couple of those expenses on there. So it's kind of the return that the IRS looks to examine on a more frequent basis. But if it's reasonable... For example, for example, you live in a house and you work in your basement. So you should be able to deduct 50% of your housing expense and put it on that C. The the way that the individual return works or the or business side of the individual return for office use of your home, they have what they call a square footage computation. And that is, is uh, uh, where they'll take what is used regularly and exclusively for your business operations is what they will allow as deductions. So make it simple. You got a room in your house and uh, it's 300 square feet. 
your house is 3,000 square feet, they're going to say you could take 10% of that, all your expenses, and deduct that. But then they do have a simplified version. Their simplified version is this. You could take $1,500 at the bottom of your, on the, on the last line of your Schedule C as all your expenses for your, uh, for, for your office use of home. What about food? Like if you take people out to dinner and lunch? Um, you could do that. It should be documented. And they have a code section called uh, uh, code section uh, 274D. It's not a disallowance code section, but it's a substantiation code section. And the substantiation basically says you could take the deduction if you, on a contemporary record, keep who, what, when, where, and why. Who you took, why you took them, what was the business purpose, when you took them, and, of course, you got the receipt. So that's possible. That's possible. Right, right. And what about travel? Travel, same way. It is a substantiation requirement, too. You have to be able to demonstrate that you went on that trip for the primary purpose of business. Those are sections of the code that the IRS says, well, we know there's a lot of personal involvement in it. So if we ask for these substantiation documents, they if, if, if they're willing to substantiate this stuff, write it down and keep the record, then more than likely there was probably that they that they done it problem is it's after the fact now let me just talk a little bit about travel or transport you did travel transportation which means local travel around the city Mm -hmm. they do allow you a uh a a 50 i believe it's 50 50 and 6 56 and a half cent mileage deduction that you could if you determine if it's determined that you use those for business miles so for example if you drive your car 20,000 miles a year, 8,000 of them for business on your Schedule C, you multiply $8,000 times 50, 50, 50, uh, 56 cents, you get a deduction. Now, here's the deal. It don't cost nobody 56 cents a mile. So, really, that's a gimme. In fact, if you got, imagine these, <laughs> these cars out here now that's getting 30 miles a gallon, 40 miles a gallon, Right. So they travel, they, they can go, it might only cost them a dime amount in gas. So the IRS realizes that, but that not only includes gas, it includes oil, insurance, maintenance, and upkeep. Maintenance. maintenance. So you can take that off. Well, you, it's included in the 50, uh, 56 cent a mile amount. That's why it's so high. And here's the thing. They want you, the IRS wants you to show them a contemporary record, i.e. you should put it down when it occurs. But they do allow for reconstruction if you take you downtown and you can't find it. So you should tie that to your monthly calendar, your weekly calendar, and write the amount down in. Okay, okay. I will tell you this. If you got a document in front of you and the IRS examine you, they must look at that document and make the assumption it's true unless they prove otherwise. Hmm. Okay, well, let's skip over from sole proprietor to an S-Corp. Can you define an S-Corp for our audience? Yes, S-Corp is a, okay, so let me give you a little bit of history about the about, about corporations. So corporations are really uh, uh, entities that solicit money from a group of people, and then they all get shares, and then they own partial uh, have partial ownership, but because a corporation pays its own income tax, it's what they call a double taxation. I.e., you own the corporation; the corporation pays its tax. 
then where the money you get out of the corporation, you got to pay income tax on it. So back about maybe 40, 50 years ago, they go, man, that's double taxation. Let's look at what do we do with the S Corp? S Corp simply says this. It's a corporation, but it pays no income tax. Whatever its income minus its expenses, get whatever's left over goes over to the owner's individual tax return and they pay income tax at the individual level. So let's say uh, I own a corp, I own an S corp, I own 25% of it, another person owns 25% of it, and another person owns 50% of it. Whatever that net amount is, I got to put 25% on mine, 25% goes on the other, and 50% goes on the other. Now, now, here's the reason why those are so, those are so good. You got people with mixed expertise that could come together and have one particular entity. You may have, I remember auditing, um, I remember auditing a group of doctors uh, when I was at the IRS. One was an ear, nose, and throat. One was a facial reconstruction, and one was a dentist. They had a group where they had an S-corp. When a person gets in a car wreck or a face got dismembered, they would all come together. They would reconstruct the whole face, but they all own one-third, one-third, a third. They, they were able to bring all their expertise together and charge a really high amount. Okay, we got to take a break now. We'll be back in just a few moments with the window. We are back and moving on up. Ed, tell us about the the uh, the uh, LLC. Okay, let me give you a brief history about the LLC. They stand for Limited Liability Corporations. When I was working for the IRS in the 80s, those weren't out. Those weren't uh, recognized. Each state, though. Uh, came up with limited liability corporations. So let me give you the backdrop as to why it happened. You got a doctor that's being sued. He's inside the corporation. He leaves a scalpel or something, some kind of malpractice. Uh, his insurance covers him for $5 million, but the client wins, 20, wins $25 million. So the issue becomes, because he was a corporation, was he protected? Well, he, on the surface, you would think he would. But these attorneys were getting so good, they were saying, nope, he was a corporation in form, but in actuality, he wasn't. Why? Because he didn't have monthly meetings or quarterly meetings. He didn't do all the things he's supposed to do. He paid his car note out of his corporate. And that's what what they call you pierce the corporate veil. So when they were able to pierce the corporate veil, now the uh, uh, doctor's other assets became exposed and now his wealth began to erode. So they didn't want that to happen. So what they did, they created all this limited liability corporations and this is what they say. You can't pierce the corporate veil of a limited liability. They don't have to have monthly meetings. They don't have to uh, uh, behave in a certain manner. So that it gave businesses a chance to flourish in particular professionals. So but the problem is the IRS really never created a form for the LLC. So, so here's the deal. If you are an LLC, single member, you file a, a Schedule C on the individual return. If you are LLC, two or more members, right, you can elect to be a S-Corp, a C-Corp, or a partnership. Now, here's what a partnership is. 
Partnership is when two people or more people come together and they decide to form a business. And at the end of the year, to the extent of the ownership in that business, they report their each partner reports their their share of it. Um, not a really good business structure <laughs> to be in uh, because one party can bind the other one. And then, you, of course, you got your regular LLCs that could be regular corporations. So those are the three ways. Now, here's the deal. You file them you, on the federal income tax returns. You file partnership returns. You file Schedule Cs. Or you file a regular C or a regular corporate. There is no LLC federal income tax returns because these are state laws, mm-hmm. not federal laws. And the LLC is a, a legal uh relationship it's not a tax relationship that's necessarily okay okay all right so um what happens when why does someone go to a c-corp what's the benefit of having a c-corp generally your bigger corporations like ford and at&t um the need for capital is so great they spread it out and they say hey we're going to sell let's say 30 million shares and the need for us to raise uh, a, a billion dollars, so we would share, we would sell probably thirty dollars, twenty dollars a share in order to raise that capital. That's normally the re- most of them now are backing out and going smaller. Okay, so the on the onset at the beginning, it was just simply to raise capital. Not only that, you got ownership, right? Each person owned ownership all across the country. All different backgrounds, all different diversities, all different deals. And so guess what? Leadership really didn't have to focus on one thing because it was so diverse. It was so uh, 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 um, they would look at, well, this person wants this. This group wants that. And they were able to get away with it. Now, as they pull back and they condense them and they make them LLCs, oh, it's a different story. Now, ownership basically now have to be social entities. They now have to be responsible for where they work, the communities that they're in, and what the needs of those communities are. As we look at um, 2021, looking over the landscape of individuals and businesses, what policies have changed, if any, or rules or or methods should we be aware of? Well, um, in August... Of every year, um, the House Ways and Means Committee uh, addressed different potential exposures or tax laws that met that they will be using for the subsequent year. Upon review, I looked at the August uh, committee reports as it relates to that August and September. There won't be any significant changes. In fact, the focus for individuals. for individuals or corporations. Oh, okay. In fact, the focus is on what you guys discussed earlier. How do we get money out in the community for infrastructure modification? If you think about this, this kind of reminds you, takes you back to Franklin Delano uh, Roosevelt, where he put in the highway stuff and the, and the economy boomed. Well, I kind of think that this is what's happening now. He, This president is saying, if I dump a lot of money into the economy, more people get jobs, more people get jobs, more mm-hmm. spending occur, and that will help keep the economy up. The strange part, though, about this is this. 
when Obama was in, all you had, well, all they talked about was debt ceiling, debt ceiling, debt ceiling. When Trump was in, I ain't hear nothing about no debt ceiling. Mm-mm. And now they back to the debt, debt ceiling, debt ceiling, debt ceiling, debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah, it's a different uh, mindset, isn't it? It is. Okay. What about corporations? Um, well, well, basically, corporations are like this. Um, when you look at what they do, how they do it, as long as they affect effectively affect what the government may want to do in their presentation of that, they get a lot of relief. They get a lot of relief because they're able to take their excess earnings and they're able to move those things around into uh, 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 certain entities that we we, we we normally are not aware of. Is that That's, a tax shelter? It, it really is a tax shelter. When I was at the IRS, I audited another group. And this group, the law says you got to have an insurance company to sell insurance. So it was an automotive group. What they did was you buy a car from them. They said, hey, if you ever get sick and you can't make your par- car payment, buy this insurance. Mm-hmm. So these people bought the insurance, mm-hmm. right? Well, this company, they didn't sell the insurance policy to another third party. They went offshore. They went to the Cayman Islands and they set up an insurance company. So imagine you selling 30,000 cars a year. You get 10,000 people to buy it, right? And the average is $50 a month and you move it over there and they probably only settle two or three claims a year. So I'm examining them. I find a deal. I find it was an offshore. It had, I don't know, $20 million in the account. We come back. We go to Washington. We get Columbus office. We talk to the people in Washington. They go, well, they ain't supposed to do that. But let's let them bring it back to to the United States and distribute it. Well, they'll say, okay. So my point is they probably made their calls to their proper constituents and, and, I mean, probably to the politicians. And the politicians probably said, well, this probably would hurt them more than that. But but, but we're not going to let them not not pay any income tax on it. They're going to pay income tax on it. But imagine the years that they got away with it when they did not. And what about private corporations? How do they monitor the income and the benefits of people that have shares in private corporations? They really don't. The private corporations is the way to go because they have to get to the individuals and it's very, very challenging to get to that because not only that, they have real strong legal counsels and legal counsels will prepare a couple of different scenarios where it's challenging to get to them. For example, you will have a family that owns corporations, but that family will own a holding corporation, which will own the actual corporations that they actually are going after. So it takes you three levels to even get to the family. But by one of them levels, somebody's just going to throw it out of court or they're going to go ahead and sell it. And what's a holding company? A holding company is just where if you own four, five, six, seven different companies, right, you just uh, have those companies uh, all being owned by the same holding company. And then the family would own the holding company. So now you got the family, let's say the Ford family owns owns the corporation. The Ford family then owns a holding corporation. That holding corporation may own six or seven corporations and the corporations as those six, seven corporations, they may own sub-corporations. Where do you learn about all of this uh, strategy? 
Um, you don't get it in elementary, high school, or college. So w- working at the Internal Revenue was a great experience. When How did you, you get there? When you so they 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 recruited me. Actually, they didn't recruit me. I recruited them because I wasn't one of the smart ones out of college. But I took advantage of this. They would hire. They hired a tr- Internal Revenue Service hires classes. You go to their classes, and their classes for Unit One is eight weeks. You go into a room. They hire twenty five people. There's a professor, tax law books. Uh, uh, um, you know, the Internal Revenue Code and the regulations. They teach you f- several different chapters during the day. You must read, understand it. Then every Friday, you had to take a test. If you did not pass the test, you didn't come back on Monday. They did that for Unit 1, basic. They did it for Unit 2, advanced. They did it for Unit 3, which is S-Corporations and Partnerships. And then they did it for Unit five, 4, which was reconciliation, uh, wait a minute, liquidations, uh, reorganizations and consolidations. So that's where I was able to get. It. So I'm this little black kid from the inner city. That's these concepts I had never seen, but I worked extremely hard to try to understand what what uh, uh, what they're. And then you end up getting the strategies and figuring out. Oh gosh, this is how they do that. So the IRS is an outstanding training ground for all these complex things. Now problem is if you don't pass that test on friday you got to go home and it takes and you have to do this for almost a two three four year process i was just i don't know how i did it i was just fortunate enough to excel uh and that's when they came to me and asked me to go to central state to start treat uh, uh, uh recruiting some students to come to work uh, for us wow tell everybody how to get in touch with you we're almost at the end of our show Again, my name is Edward Dudley. My address is is uh, uh, two sixty one Johnstown Road, uh, Gahan, Ohio four three two four three two three zero zero. My cell phone number is six one four six seven nine nineteen ninety one. That's the best number to get me at. You could you could text me. You could leave me a message or whatnot. Um, I will return. And then my uh, email address or I'll give you my website. My website is real simple, just Ed Dutley CPA dot com and then my email is Ed at Ed Dutley CPA dot com. Deadlines coming up. Can you go over them for us? Yes. The, so so the corporate deadline just passed nine fifteen of every year. The individual deadline is coming up on on ten fifteen of this year. I filed electronically and what's nice about filing electronically, when I file the return within twenty four hours, the IRS sends me a notice that says that return has been accepted. If it and if it's not been accepted, they send me a notice that says that return has not been accepted and here's the reasons why. Oh, that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. Um, Joanna, we have any more personal issues to bring to the table? No, I, the term tax planning um, comes to mind. I have several people I work with who are financial planners. So if someone is interested in, in doing tax planning based on all the great advice you've given us, but wanting to be proactive instead of reactive, what does it mean they, to do tax planning? Yeah, they, they should really come see me in probably no longer, no later than February, March of the year for which you're going to pass, uh, apply be, uh, or file the tax return. So, for example, you should have a tax plan for 2021, should have it already done. 
And what we do, we just project out everything. And then we try to figure out some strategies based upon what your issues are to lower or reduce your liability or at least increase your wealth. And so we, we talked on this show about individual taxes and business taxes separately. If I am an individual and I own a business, do I file separately as an individual in a business, or how does that work? Um, if you are a business and file a sole proprietorship, you put them together. If you have elected a partnership, um, you will file a partnership return, summarizing your income and expenses, getting a K-1, and then that goes over to your individual return. What's a K-1? A, K, a K-1 is just simply kind of looks like a W-2. It's summer. It takes your income and your expenses from the partnership. Whatever's left over, you multiply that times your percentage of ownership, and it comes to you in the form. They give you a piece of paper, say, here's your K-1, or here's your number for the percentage of ownership that you have to report in your individual tax return. Okay. Um, let me just remind you all about our email address. We'd like to hear from you today. It's windowviewnow at gmail.com. That's capital W, windowviewnow at gmail.com. Um, thank you, Ed, for taking us to Accounting 101 today. Um, I'm sure everybody appreciated hearing this information. We're glad you're here. And... Um, We'd like to uh, thank you. Okay. Well, I, I only want to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to share. And anything that I may be able to do in the future, please don't, don't hesitate to call me. All righty. Thank you. And we will see you next Saturday on The Window. Exactly.